Welcome to Place Matters, a podcast about the intersection of race, place, and poverty, where we explore the belief that the path towards ending inequity and promoting prosperity is through the work of holistic neighborhood development. Welcome to the next installment of our series on FCS's three pillars. This series will focus on the pillar of mixed income housing. I'm Sean Duncan, the director of training and consulting for FCS and the host for Place Matters. When it comes to housing, it doesn't matter how strategic your plans are, how much experience you have, or how well-resourced you are. There will always be market forces, neighborhood realities, and local policies that are out of your control. This means succeeding in the kind of housing that leads to flourishing neighborhoods means you must be flexible, adaptive, and innovative. What has worked for the last five years may actually be detrimental to the neighborhood if repeated for the next five years. So as FCS is looking at our own changing context, there are a few pivots in innovation that are currently shaping our next steps. Joining me today to talk about what is next for FCS and our housing work is our president, Jim Weiner, our senior director of community development, Marvin Nesbitt, and our director of HR and finance, Daniel Clay. So in our mission statement, it says that we are innovative. And I think housing is one of those areas where uh, we are forced to end innovation, the, the constant changes at our city level and just in the market and what's happening in our work. We are constantly having to adjust what we're doing. So we've already spent some time talking about how, historically what we've done in housing, kind of what we're doing right now. Uh, and in this episode, I want to focus on some of those edges of innovation for us, seeing some, some new things, maybe some things that are not new to others, but are new to us, ways that we're trying to figure out how to innovate to, to continue to build an equitable neighborhood that we're in. So uh, ADUs, CDFIs, and land trusts are the three things I'd like for us to have some conversation around. So let's maybe start with ADUs. Who wants to tell us what those three words stand for and give us a description on what, what is an ADU? They're just looking at each other. We are, we are stumped. <laughs> Sean, what does that stand for? No, I don't know. FCS. There's so many That's letters. Right. There's so many there's letters, letters here. Accessory dwelling unit. Okay. And an accessory dwelling unit can be just that. If you've got a single-family house or even uh, a duplex, you can have on another part of the property mm-hmm. another unit. And uh, they tend to be small. They're not quite a tiny home. Okay. So if we were talking tiny home, we might be talking less than 450 square feet. Okay. Uh, accessory dwelling units can be s- that small, but for FCS, most of ours are between, I'm going to say, 600 and 900 square feet. Okay. So ADUs or things, tiny homes, the smaller builds, people assume that this is a this is a solution for affordability, right? Um, and that's a logical assumption since it's a smaller build, it's less materials, you'd think it'd be cheaper. Uh, but I don't think ADUs are actually solved for affordability necessarily. What, what are we doing with ADUs or why have we brought that into our strategy? Yeah, so uh, this is, uh, you know, as you stated earlier, it's not necessarily innovative to a number of other organizations, but it is something that we're doing mm-hmm. uh, new here at FCS, right? Um, 
this is an opportunity for us to make available uh, affordable units mm -hmm. for uh, residents of lower income uh, in the neighborhood here in South Atlanta. So there's a couple different ways that we're thinking about uh, ADUs. Uh, one would be on our rental properties. Mm -hmm. So we've got a number of single family rentals in our inventory. And initially what we thought is we would do an ADU in the backyard mm -hmm. that builds a second unit on that parcel. Mm -hmm. So it becomes like a duplex uh, or a triplex mm -hmm. or a quad. Uh, and uh, the reason those are popular is mm -hmm. from a rental perspective, it, it's you've got two rental incomes to mm -hmm. the organization yeah. on one parcel. So the taxes get split over mm -hmm. two sets of rent. And it ends up from a business perspective, mm -hmm. if we were just talking cash flow, an ADU can help add cash flow mm -hmm. in the way we thought we would use mm -hmm. it, since we're not for profit. Mm -hmm. uh, we definitely need the cash flow. Uh, but at the same time, we thought, well, we can hold one of them as market, or excuse me, as affordable. Mm -hmm. The other can be market rate. And we just assumed that the house, or what we call the front house in mm -hmm. the back house is the mm -hmm. ADU. The, the front house, we would have that as workforce or market rate. Mm -hmm. And then we could do the ADU, which tends to be smaller in mm -hmm. square footage. We could do that as affordable. And it worked great, except it worked opposite. Okay. So yeah. we ended up getting a, a university student mm -hmm. that was able to... Uh, to pay rent in the ADU, loved the efficiency. Mm -hmm. ADU, the smaller space, she didn't want um, need a big house. Mm -hmm. And that allowed us then to keep, mm -hmm. we had a house on the front part of the property that we were able to keep that rent affordable for a single mom and her daughter. So the ADU itself isn't necessarily an affordable unit, but by having that unit on a rental parcel that keeps the rental cheaper so that we are able to maintain affordability for, for the renter. Yeah. And so another way that we wanted to use the ADU, uh, because we have a number of families that we've created the mortgage for, mm -hmm. so they are homeowners, uh, they could leverage their backyard by having an, or a side yard by having an ADU that mm -hmm. they rent out. Okay. And so it takes a, a homeowner mm -hmm. uh, that um, we build the ADU in their backyard, and then they get to rent that out. And how that worked in sort of real time was we leased the property mm -hmm. from that homeowner, so that that homeowner gets uh, two hundred fifty to three hundred dollars a month. Okay, and then uh, we we property managed that uh, that ADU. Okay, the the goal is that that homeowner will be able to buy out that ADU. Mm -hmm. Uh, given time and then have the whole rent mm. would go to them. So you take an affordable home buyer mm -hmm. and they now also have a rental. You're, this is that economic development, right? Where you're mm -hmm. developing a, a wealth creation opportunity mm -hmm. for that family mm -hmm. uh, that traditionally we wouldn't yep. look at that right. way. But from an equity standpoint, it allows them to leverage their mm -hmm. property. Uh, so we have a homeowner who has a mortgage with us. Mm -hmm. And she has two ADUs mm. in her backyard, and uh, she is already trying to figure out how do I buy them out so I have the full, yeah. wow. I get the full rent. And yeah. we're hopeful that 
we're going to be able to help her yeah. do that. So there's income, there's wealth building. Okay, yeah. What other values are ADU? Like when we decided to go down this path of ADUs, what what was prompting us? Was it just affordability? Is Are there other things that we're saying this is something that we, a game we want to get into that we've never done before? Yeah. I think the other uh, way of looking at it, Sean, is just inventory, hmm. sheer inventory. Yeah. If you um, just look at the news or hmm. sit around the the offices or different uh, conference room tables. There's always this discussion about inventory or mm. lack thereof. Okay. Okay. Uh, especially when it comes to rental. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the ADU concept is a way for us to help increase mm. the inventory of rental uh, options for home or uh, those who uh, mm. seek affordable quality housing mm -hmm. uh, in the city uh, that. Otherwise, they would not have if mm -hmm. not for uh, those ADUs. And so, uh, again, this option for us has allowed us to help increase that inventory and um, provide a, a quality product uh, at the same time. for. Is uh, there a density value? Uh, that's this. where Is I was going to go, yeah. yeah. So the inventory and the density, yeah. Yeah, so you add that, that density of people in the neighborhood mm -hmm. uh, that are utilizing goods and services in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, for instance, we, we own and operate a small grocery store and a coffee shop, and uh, that means we have more folks that are mm. coming and buying mm -hmm. their groceries or enjoying the, mm -hmm. the coffee shop and its space that it offers, and it's good for everyone mm. uh, to have a neighborhood that uh, you go back 10, 12 years mm -hmm. to the Great Recession, and, um, and the neighborhood was almost half vacant. Mm -hmm. And so... When we're adding people to the neighborhood that are mm -hmm. uh, using goods and services in mm -hmm. the neighborhood, it it helps everybody mm -hmm. from a economic development standpoint. Mm -hmm. So it's not simply about housing, and it's not simply about affordability, but it's also about livability mm -hmm. in the in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, and from our perspective, we we see it happening around the neighborhood mm -hmm. more so. Uh, my wife and I were actually riding our bikes uh, a week ago, and as we were riding down one of the streets, we realized there's a for-profit developer that has built two houses, and both houses have ADUs in oh, back wow. okay. uh, just down the street from us. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing that developers are also <laughs> using it as a way to um, to build a home with a rental in the back of it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it could be used uh, by the family for... Let's mm -hmm. say you have children that are old enough to mm -hmm. have their own apartment, or mm -hmm. uh, maybe you have a family member, mm -hmm. uh, you know, your mother or father or mm -hmm. whatever, that also mm -hmm. use the, the ADU. So there's just multiple ways it can be used, and I think it's becoming more and more popular. So did we have to get special permission to do ADUs? Is anyone just allowed to build one in their backyard? Did we have to go through some sort of zoning application? What, what, was, what kind of considerations do we have to go through to make it? make it legal yeah so um, there are there are zoning um, mm -hmm. requirements that you have to abide by mm -hmm. uh, here in the city uh, so your lot uh, if it's obviously zone residential mm -hmm. then you're allowed to uh, put an ADU on that lot as long as it doesn't exceed mm -hmm. a certain square footage uh, okay. typically I think it's 750 uh, okay. square feet of of living space in that ADU. So as long as you're by by that that uh 
rezoning requirement and or that zoning requirement, mm-hmm. uh, you're fine mm-hmm. uh, there. I think it was 2020. Okay. Uh, I could be wrong. It could have been maybe 2019, but where the city of Atlanta adopted an ADU mm. policy in their zoning, so mm. that gave permission. Yep. You didn't. Ha- you don't have to get a special permit mm-hmm. uh, then to do it. You're mm-hmm. allowed by zoning now. I don't mm. think every city allows that right. yet. So yeah, if yeah. you were in a city without. Uh, without a policy that allowed mm-hmm. for it, you you're working upstream a little bit to mm-hmm. to get a variance, mm-hmm. you know, in your neighborhood or yeah. on your property so that you can uh, you can build. But for the city of Atlanta, it's been mm-hmm. uh, it's been good, and you see it starting like mm-hmm. since it took a minute for uh, the office of planning and zoning mm-hmm. to catch up, right. right? As they're or permitting, excuse me. Uh, to catch up at once the new zoning mm-hmm. was allowed. and uh, But once we got our first sets of permits, you see them popping up everywhere mm-hmm. now. It's it's sort of accepted. And yeah. It feels like a, a step towards equity in it. I mean, some cities, I think Minneapolis has done away with all exclusionary zoning. Um, uh, we haven't done that, but it feels like this is one move towards greater housing equity that like you don't have to have just all single-family homes in a neighborhood, which is going to prevent a whole host of people from being able to access meaningful homeownership. Um, Danielle, so ADUs don't just cost our construction team or our builders or our, you know, strategizers. There's also some back end that has to happen. What, when, when we started this ADU thing, what did you think from a HR admin, all these (laughs) spreadsheets, what was going on for you when, when this new idea popped up? Um, from the accounting side, it was, I know that it was going to be more work required. Yeah. She was pretty excited. <laughs> Darn, more work. <laughs> when Jim came with the idea, she, she was loving it. So, she, she has something that she throws when she hears, I have an idea. She just, it just instinctively comes, it was like a brick comes flying from her desk. So when Jim comes with the new idea, it's up to me to decide <laughs> how are we going to make it happen financially. Mm-hmm. And so as they were talking about the, um, the good things about ADUs, mm-hmm. as Jim mentioned before, the cash flow mm-hmm. is also very good mm-hmm. once the unit is completed mm-hmm. for us to have more revenue to use in other rentals as well as other areas within FCS. Mm-hmm. But getting back to when he comes with the idea, <laughs> it's like, okay, so how are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. So um, we look at our funding mm-hmm. and uh, work, work with the housing team, our mm-hmm. construction team, or if we're having an outside builder, because we have, what, like six or seven being built now. Yeah, there's five in process. Five, five right in now. process, mm-hmm. and I know it's a couple. We did one, two, two mm-hmm. already, so mm-hmm. it's five more. And they're almost completed. As, mm-hmm. um, so we work with the um, outside contract, and those were um, outside contractors. Always. Yeah, we did our first our first group, which is the two initial, and then we were doing five. We did all those with a mm. um, with a developer that does mm. some of our single family housing yeah. work, and uh, but we're moving into doing that ourselves now, mm. just to save cost. Mm. Yes, it saves cost. So we work with them and make sure we have the funding to pay mm. them, and um, so starting from the permits. Mm. From all the construction, paying the invoices, uh, we help in every facet of mm. getting these ADUs built. Yeah. 
So it's a lot of fun, and yeah. I love to see when the revenue starts coming in. <laughs> Has that started yet? Danielle, it's always holding me accountable for revenue. I know money. Who, who needs that? I'm just a passionate nonprofit <laughs> leader. <laughs> just need good ideas and a good heart. That's all you need, right? All right, Danielle. Yes, <laughs> as well as money. <laughs> well, speaking of. Uh, adding more financial apparatus to make all this run, we've also decided to launch into the CDFI space. So uh, who wants to tell us what those words stand for and uh, what's the, the the strategic value of becoming our own CDFI? Hey, Danielle, we're going to start a CDFI. Are you good? <laughs> what was the, we do have bleeping uh, uh, options over here. If you want to tell me the first word that you said when we told you that. Oh, we're entering into something else new, huh, Jim? Yeah. We are. Yeah. And it's yeah. fun. So CDFI is a community development finance institution. Mm-hmm. So, so listeners can think of it as a mini bank. Okay. Like, uh, like technically we're becoming a, a lending institution. So... The purpose of our CDFI is to provide mortgages, mm-hmm. down payment assistance, and maybe in the future some small business lending okay. for uh, entrepreneurs going through mm-hmm. our entrepreneurship accelerator. So right now it's focused on mortgages and uh, down payment assistance. So before, okay. we, we've done mortgages in the past without for years. being a CDFI. Why the, why the change? Uh, the change is the access to financing and that so we did for years 30 almost 35 years we did uh, a, a habitat style mm-hmm. build which is we would uh, take a, home, a homeowner mm-hmm. a family a individual whatever but we would then go raise the money philanthropically mm-hmm. and then we would use volunteers to build the house mm-hmm. and then we would place homeowner, Mm-hmm. in the house and we would do a 20 year loan mm-hmm. uh, and zero interest yeah mm-hmm. 20 years zero interest mm-hmm. right and so uh, we did those over and over and over mm-hmm. uh, literally hundreds of them over mm-hmm. time and but gradually what happened is uh, the the houses have priced out our ability to mm-hmm. to do that so if we go back into, uh, I'm going to say the mid '90s, and we raised six hundred thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars. We could we could do between four and six houses mm-hmm. for that money. That same six hundred thousand can do two, mm-hmm. maybe two and a half houses now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we were seeing our ability to raise money philanthropically. Mm-hmm. That uh, it was just producing less and less. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and. Then also we're seeing a trend of uh, the that CDFIs are able to get uh, federal dollars oh, okay. down to for lending, mm-hmm. uh, and if we wanted access to that that type of financing, mm-hmm. which allows us to marry philanthropy and borrowed capital to mm-hmm. do more. So our goal through the CDFI is to be able to to do eight to ten mortgages a mm-hmm. year. And uh, if you think a, a mortgage is uh, somewhere between, uh, I'm going to say, 250 and 300,000, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit less than that on the affordable side. Uh, but if you're looking in that range, that means we need a fund of three to three and a half million dollars mm-hmm. that allows us uh, to create a loan, mm-hmm. 
Uh, it's now we do a 30 year product just like you would find, Mm uh, out on the market. Mm -hmm. Uh, and sorry, we do a 30 year product Mm -hmm. and then, uh, and then we can sell that loan. Mm-hmm. We still retain management of it, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we've got a couple friendly banks that will buy those loans mm-hmm. from us. And when they buy those loans, that gives us cash to do the next loan. Okay. And so by combining philanthropy and borrowing, we're able to create a rotational process that allows us to do more mortgages mm-hmm. than we were doing before. So, and what's, and, But we no longer are able to do the 0% under this structure. How is that a good thing for our homeowners? Well, they still get low interest okay. loans through our mm-hmm. CDFI, as mm-hmm. well as we also will be working with um, people that are unable to get traditional financing. Mm-hmm. They will still go through a process, mm-hmm. go through home loan um, counseling, mm-hmm. um, and but they may not have been able to get financed through a traditional bank, okay. and we can work with them to make mm-hmm. sure that they can get learn how to be a homeowner mm-hmm. as well as get the financing through mm-hmm. us as a CDFI. Okay. So then uh, with that, uh, the other thing is the zero interest loans didn't help your credit score mm. because they're not reported, mm. right? It's like uh, you got a loan from a family member mm. or something, mm. and it's just... Uh, so they can spend 20 years making payments every single month faithfully, and it doesn't reflect on there. Right, and it uh, be- because there's no interest, there's no reporting that we were Mm. doing. Mm. So by doing the CDFI now, we officially as a bank Mm. have to report our lending Mm. work and that lending work benefits Mm. the the homeowner in that it builds credit score for Mm. them again, which, you know, it's a different world right Mm -hmm. now than it was, I'm going to say even 10 years ago. But if you go into a bank to get a loan, the first thing they're looking at to, 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 do their risk matrix, the first yep. thing they look is your credit score. Whether yeah. that's good or bad, we mm-hmm. could debate. Yeah, it is right? the system that we're, <laughs> but the, we the help system, people navigate. Yeah. 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 So uh, having a loan product that, that helps people into home ownership but doesn't improve their credit score. Mm-hmm. Uh, just um, hamstrings them financially. Yeah, we just ways. felt like there's better ways to do it. So we can s- still utilize a very low mm-hmm. interest rate uh, that's very favorable. Uh, and that's how we pay ourselves now mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. off the interest rate and um, and it mm-hmm. benefits the uh, the home buyer in the long run. Mm-hmm. So Danielle, we're becoming a bank. <laughs> what, what does that mean for you and your team? Yeah, how does that, you, you just have you just have a jar of lollipops on your desk that you hand out when we come by now? Is that Dude, the only toasters. difference? Toasters. We got toasters <laughs> in back. Toasters. What's the difference? What's the, what's the, what's the impact maybe on... Maybe air fryers. Air fryers. Air fryers would be good. one of those. Those make good wings. Microwaves. <laughs> That's right. Um, it's just a lot more that we're able to offer our mm-hmm. um, our constituents or mm-hmm. people that... Um, mm-hmm. Not constituents, but people that we assist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more work in our department, mm-hmm. but um, and we're getting more people to assist okay. us, okay. too. There we go. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's... You are? <laughs> you didn't tell <laughs> we, me that. We just talked about that a couple of days ago. <laughs> but um, it's, it's good to be able to help our people mm-hmm. internally mm-hmm. Uh, get the things done. And it's just heartfelt to me that we're able to help them get into affordable housing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What kind of 
skills, talents, leadership abilities you have to have on your team to be able to manage these various things we're doing? Um, I have a spreadsheet. I have a T-shirt that says. Um, she probably has a spreadsheet, <laughs> by the way. She started to I say that because that naturally. Like, oh, this calls for a spreadsheet. Yeah. But um, she's stressed have, out. She goes and does a spreadsheet. <laughs> we have a couple of accounting systems that keep track of the mortgages mm. and the rentals, mm. as well as um, the accounting for our overall organization. Mm. Um, is in our ability to have an accounting degree, mm-hmm. uh, finance, to know what's going on with the interest rates. Mm-hmm. Um, we make sure that everyone payments are mm-hmm. uh, reflected, mm-hmm. um, as well as down payment assistance. Mm-hmm. We help, help with every um, mm. aspect of the whole process. Wow. And uh, our listeners know that's this. The housing team is just one team That's of, of many other teams. So there's some superhuman magic going on behind the, the cubicle walls over there with, with Danielle's team. Uh, I would say that uh, so it, it wouldn't be foreign to, mm-hmm. to know that or to see Danielle and her team, they're busting it behind the scenes in terms mm-hmm. of making sure every dollar is accounted for mm-hmm. uh, and that it's flowing to the correct place. Mm-hmm. We... Technically, we joke about we've got uh, six different businesses that mm-hmm. her team is mm-hmm. is uh, doing accounting for, right? There's three different housing businesses. Mm-hmm. There's a grocery store, a coffee shop. But all of those demand mm-hmm. specific mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. right? But uh, she could also be sitting with our homeowners one day. You know, mm-hmm. we have a homeowner that comes in that's trying to figure something out. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she's a HUD-trained counselor, mm-hmm. a financial counselor, so... She can switch from mm-hmm. office mode where trying to get tasks done to uh, sitting down with a homeowner or a staff member, for that mm-hmm. matter, uh, that uh, may be working on one part of our team and is trying to figure out homeownership or mm-hmm. is trying to figure out uh, um, a, a new rental mm-hmm. situation, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danielle and her team can uh, do some pretty excellent coaching that mm-hmm. well that way mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. I still okay. want to know what that T-shirt says. <laughs> you started to I'll say. I'll wear it tomorrow. Okay. This calls for a spreadsheet or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, it calls for a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> we love spreadsheets. And uh, with our with my fiduciary responsibility, we make sure that every uh, bit of grant money, mm-hmm. donations that we get in, that is applied to the correct bank accounts or mm-hmm. programs. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'm not the most fun person around here or the most liked person because I'm like, hey, what are you doing? But um, we're really excited about mm. making sure that we use our dollars for what they're designed mm. for. And you guys do a great job at it. Too. Yeah, and, and she yeah. says she's not the most liked person, oh, but it. she is certainly the most colorful person in this room, <laughs> right? She came in dressed beautifully. And uh, yeah, she helps mm. us stay on, on course for sure. Mm. Mm. That's awesome. Hey guys, just want to jump in here real quick with an invitation. If you want to bring FCS's principles and practices to your neighborhood, we can take you and your local partners through a two-year multi-sector cohort process that we call City Shapers. Right now, this effort is being partially funded by Lilly Endowment Inc., so it is a great time to jump in. We have taken three communities through this process so far and would love to bring it to your neighborhood next. Contact us today to learn more at fcsministries.org.
So the other thing that's not new, but new to us, that's been a required innovation for us in the last few years is the land trust model. So what, what is a land trust and how does that function and why have we uh, launched into that? Yeah, so the, the land trust model, uh, again, is just another uh, tool in the toolbox that we're exploring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives us an opportunity as, uh, to help control affordability mm-hmm. uh, in our uh, building. One of, the, one of the, uh, the, the most difficult things to do is, you know, to acquire the land mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to build on, and especially if you're an individual homeowner, mm-hmm. uh, you know, any assistance that can be provided to help mm. kind of get over that hump to mm-hmm. uh, get them in the house is, is uh, certainly beneficial. So uh, for us, we're looking at uh, land trust uh, as a way of, again, controlling affordability. Mm. Um, it's a scenario, if you can imagine, where uh, there's this land and there's this house on the land and then you sell uh, someone or build and sell someone that home, mm. and you actually do not sell them the land, you actually mm. just sell them the home, okay. and therefore you're able to sell that home to them at an affordable uh, mm. price mm-hmm. uh, that obviously helps them in the long run. So mm-hmm. it's a it's it's kind of new to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people probably ask the question, well, what do you mean I don't own the land? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's just one of those things that... It's kind of a mindset shift mm. uh, mm-hmm. when you really think about it. I mean, do we really ever own the land? Mm. Uh, you know, uh, it, you know, given the fact that you're in this house mm. for like thirty years, mm-hmm. and you know, do you ever see it as a situation where you own the land? So, uh, but it is a way uh, again mm-hmm. for us to uh, help uh, control affordability mm-hmm. uh, or provide an affordable mm-hmm. uh, product. It's something that's gaining. Uh, I think momentum mm-hmm. across the country mm-hmm. uh, now, and it's certainly something that that we're exploring here yeah. at FCS. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, in addition to that, that when we think about land trust, we just think about it as one tool mm-hmm. in the toolkit, right? Mm-hmm. Of deepening affordability. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also think about it as a stepping stone into full home ownership, which would mm-hmm. be what uh, the the land and and house. Mm-hmm. I would say in Atlanta, I think it's somewhat foreign because we haven't priced ourselves out. Yeah. But there's other places in the country mm-hmm. that uh, if you're m- even middle mm-hmm. class buying a house, you're using land trust to do it. Like mm-hmm. you know, there's places in California where a a small, you know, thousand square foot house can can be well over a million dollars, and mm-hmm. you need a land trust to help get into that, mm-hmm. right? As well as uh, um, some different financial tools that mm-hmm. help families get into home ownership. And mm-hmm. in Atlanta, we're not quite there yet. So when we think about land trust, it's often we're, we're thinking about it on a level of affordability mm-hmm. and what they call generational or permanent affordability. Mm-hmm. Because the land trust property, when it sells, it has some limits on resale value. Okay. So it has uh, to remain affordable. Yeah, so okay. it remains affordable mm-hmm. in the long mm-hmm. term. Uh, at the same time, in Atlanta, uh, we are seeing, you know, with the building of infrastructure, mm-hmm. that it, it, we could be five, eight, maybe ten years away from it costing half a million dollars mm-hmm. to own a house near the what we call the Beltline mm-hmm. or inside the Beltline, mm-hmm. uh, and you're going to see it's not just a, 
um, what we would call a low income buyer, but mm. it's, it's be more all of us. Yeah, yeah. It'll be a standard, uh, standardized tool. And, and we're starting to see it more and more in Atlanta mm. and, mm. um, we don't have a ton of it, but we have access to the tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is an Atlanta, uh, community land trust, mm-hmm. uh, that's doing really good work all around mm-hmm. the city, uh, and producing some excellent affordable units and, uh, so anyway, we consider mm-hmm. it one tool to uh, keeping affordability yeah. in our neighborhood. I think it was maybe like eight years ago. I remember someone talking to us about, you know, why isn't FCS doing land trust work? Or what do you think about land trust work? And we, we, our kind of response is like, we feel like that's okay, but like we really want people to own everything. Like that, that's, that's the big win for us. But it was also a season where we could do six homes for $600,000. You know, it, it was like we can still do affordability, with all the ownership and there was a particular family in South Atlanta that had been renting a home, wanted to move towards ownership, but like they could move past rental, but they couldn't move far enough to do home and land. Right. And for us to be able to say like, well, there's, here's a rung on the ladder where we can get you from a to B before you get to C. Cause not everybody, especially in this market, not everybody can jump all the way in. So if you're in the land trust model, do do people have the option to buy the land or will they always be on a land trust home that they would then have to move to a different home to be able to purchase everything? Yeah, I would say one, it depends on the land trust organization, okay. but I think the the usual answer to that is going to be no, they don't, okay. they would, they would sell that okay. house and, and purchase their next okay. home. Okay. They would have earned equity mm-hmm. that allows them down payment for the purchase mm-hmm. of their next home. Okay. So that's why it's sort of stepping stone, okay. right? And that, and part of that regulation, therefore, is to is again for the in perpetuity that yeah. land stays. Uh, so there's affordable. a so yeah. one of the things there's there's critiques on both sides. So mm-hmm. I would say yeah. I think it's a fair critique of land trust mm-hmm. that there's an equity principle that has yes. to be ignored, mm-hmm. right? So if if you can own mm-hmm. your house and the land outright, mm-hmm. and I only get the house, there's mm-hmm. an equity thing mm-hmm. going on there. And that's why we avoided land trust is we felt like, no, we're really passionate about equity and we want our home buyers to, mm-hmm. to own just like everybody else does. Uh, and so we avoided it for a while. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, the critique of our housing model mm-hmm. could be that, okay, so you raised all this philanthropy and you've put it in mm-hmm. a mortgage. What limits that family from now selling that. So they just put it on the market and sell it. Mm -hmm. And, and now it's become, it's no longer affordable. So the philanthropy and Mm -hmm. generosity that helped create affordability is lost after the first buyer Mm -hmm. sells. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we ended up, we were putting covenants in the the mortgage product that we created that that limited the buyer's ability to to mm. sell and mm. there's an equity share so we were doing some of our own equity mm. uh, uh restraints mm-hmm. right to mm-hmm. try to keep we had a first right of refusal on resale you mm. needed our permission to sell okay. so there were things we were doing to try to control for that and mm. we we felt like okay if we're being honest as an organization Mm-hmm. Uh, there's critiques on both sides, but why can't we do both? Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. does it, why is it yep. one and not the other? And so, yeah. And I think that's part of what I appreciate about our housing model is almost anything we're doing, we see it as a tool in the toolbox, right? That we 
our goal is a thriving, flourishing, equitable neighborhood. And like, there's no ADU isn't going to accomplish that by themselves. Like land trusts aren't going to accomplish that by themselves. Like we have to be uh, agile and dynamic because the context is constantly changing. Do you feel like in the public sector, there's an ability to be that agile, right? I feel like just the dynamics are always changing. Do you feel like from the public side, is it changing as fast as the context is changing? Like, Who's able to keep up with the, the the dynamic shifts that are going on? Do you see that happening? Well, I think in the public sector, the public sector seems to always be a bit handicapped. Mm. Uh, I think about a lot of, we depend on, the public sector tends to depend upon a lot on government subsidies mm. uh, mm-hmm. and then it get which get caught caught up mm-hmm. in the bureaucracy and mm-hmm. tie the hands a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, it seems like it's always, you know, taken, uh, you know, one or two years you, yeah. behind the There's private sector, yeah. right, yeah. in order for it to catch up. And and one of the examples I, I like to use is, is the low-income housing tax credit. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have a, a, a lot of developers years ago who – participated in that program and used that to mm-hmm. uh, to finance a lot of affordable housing. And now today, mm-hmm. uh, because of the, the bureaucracy behind it and also trying to figure out how to maintain affordability mm-hmm. using that tool uh, or make it a tool that's going to benefit uh, mm-hmm. that private developer, mm-hmm. uh, it's become more difficult. And as a result, mm-hmm. more uh, developers are... are trying to move away from mm. the tax low-income housing tax credit mm-hmm. uh, program and using it as an option. And so, again, if you are a public sector mm-hmm. organization, you depended upon that, yeah. that as a resource to help mm-hmm. get it done. But if you don't have the private development partner who mm. sees it as beneficial for them because of all of the regulations mm. and, and such, uh, it, it just uh, handicaps the, mm. the public sector and being able to provide more affordable housing. Mm. Uh, so, is the nonprofit sector any more agile, or do you feel like what would you say from the nonprofit affordable housing folks out there? Is, is it normal for a nonprofit to be that agile and able to, to shift and change with the changing context? That's a really good question. Uh, I think that. I think that nonprofit goes where philanthropy goes, mm. to be honest, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. You, you wonder which, which mm. is the tail wagging the dog, is the mm-hmm. dog wagging the tail. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, uh, that it's sometimes hard to be agile mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, as a nonprofit uh, because to do the work of housing, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, takes, uh, um, it takes keen business sense, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You, you can lose money really quickly mm-hmm. in a bad real estate deal. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so here's uh, just a couple of things this makes me think about. So I was, we have a property that we were trying to develop <clears throat> and Opportunity Zones came along. Mm-hmm. So Opportunity Zone is a, um, it is a way of saying this this area mm-hmm. on the map that's that's detailed as an opportunity zone can get mm-hmm. uh, some specific opportunity zone investment. Mm-hmm. And so I was working hard to mm-hmm. on one project to get uh, an opportunity zone investment going. 
And we literally worked for almost a year mm. back and forth. I had a good I- investor who wanted to do the project uh, and we just could not get it off the ground. Mm. And I was talking to a third party, uh, somebody that is a trusted uh, developer and I was having a conversation with him, him about it. And he said, you know, Jim, uh, an opportunity zone investment is not designed to make a bad investment good. Mm. Mm. It will make a good investment better, mm. but it mm. won't save a bad investment. Mm. So there's a reality that uh, as a nonprofit, uh, you can't make bad real estate deals. Mm. Like mm. you still have to make good real estate deals. And there may be some subsidy in them that mm. doesn't make them a bad deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just helps a good project be better affordable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I think it's tricky to, uh, to work with, I would say philanthropy mm-hmm. is getting it. Certainly in Atlanta, we have a lot of philanthropy mm-hmm. that's, that's starting to move around this idea, idea of place-based mm-hmm. work like mm-hmm. FCS does. And so I feel like we're supported well, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean we don't have to work for it. You, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to, uh, um, make sure your project narrative and your pro forma match mm-hmm. and that your funder, the, mm-hmm. the philanthropy, the foundation, they see that and agree to it. Mm-hmm. They give input before you ever submit it as mm-hmm. an ask so they, they can know that it's strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having done that, I would say in Atlanta, I feel like um, both philanthropy and then what we would call social capital investment so we, we have some uh, uh, philanthropy that's flowed into mm-hmm. investment tools that invest at low interest. Mm-hmm. So that allows us to get to borrow sometimes below market interest, mm-hmm. which helps a project yep. flow from debt mm-hmm. service. So anyway, uh, I feel like uh, the when we talk about the public market, I feel like the the city mm-hmm. of Atlanta, the county that mm-hmm. we're in, the state, they, they all are interested in the work of affordable mm-hmm. housing. We know units are necessary and they are working hard mm-hmm. to, to be able to be flexible enough that you can put public, mm-hmm. private, and philanthropic funds together to make a deal work yeah. on a property. Mm-hmm. I feel like the only path towards equity and meaningful affordability in a neighborhood has got to be toolboxes that are 12, 12 drawers deep and <laughs> really wide, right? That, uh, Very that diverse. Yeah, there's no way to do this without this kind of multifaceted approach. And I think any kind of cut, copy, paste, rinse, repeat, whatever metaphor you want just isn't going to solve for it. Because it's what's fascinating is I've learned more about the 20-year arc of even just in this one neighborhood yeah. of how many times we've had to pivot and completely drop previous strategies and start new ones. So what do you guys feel like is next? Whether it's an idea that would stress Daniel out, you know, that said like there's an idea you've got for a solve, or it's this is the problem we've got to start figuring out next. What do you feel like is what's calling for innovation next for us? Let me uh, just jump in real quick. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to give shout out to our neighborhood, Historic South Atlanta, mm-hmm. where we've yes. been working for 23 years, they have allowed us to be Mm. flexible. There are neighborhoods Mm. that are not as friendly Mm -hmm. to uh, affordable mixed income development Mm -hmm. as historic South Atlanta has been. And our neighborhood leadership in the Civic League Mm -hmm. has supported us in a lot of, uh, a lot of ideas. They, they let us try Mm -hmm. and 
uh, and they'll tell us when mm-hmm. we've done well, and they'll tell us when they want us to to mm-hmm. make some adjustments, mm-hmm. and that's made it really workable. I know there are other neighborhoods that yeah. around the U.S. that may be less receptive to ADUs or to mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. Uh, kind of development, but our neighborhood has been fun to work with, mm. partly for that reason, is they've been really receptive to, they know we need units, we've yeah. got people that need housing, and we know this is creative, but uh, mm. let's let's see if we can do it. They're open to more density. That mm. those ideas that we're talking about, the neighborhood uh, has mm. um, really worked with us uh, yeah. to to make that happen. And now back to your question, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't remember. <laughs> well, one of the things with pivoting is um, just thinking about if we're able to get parcels or pieces of land at very reasonable rates. Mm or prices that we are able to change some of our model of homes to make sure that they, to fit into those parcels. Okay. Okay. Like there were several um, uh, hard pieces of land and we were mm. able to find different um, model homes okay. to put there. Okay. We were able to use other developers to mm. build there, okay. uh, different size homes mm. to fit into the narrow lots. Okay. Okay. And so that still allowed us not to just leave the land blighted okay. or just empty, we were able to mm. utilize every uh, inch of space that we were able to mm. get. Mm. Yeah, awesome. I, I think to your point, uh, Danielle, one of the uh, discussions that we could seem to continue to have, um, whether we're talking internally or external mm-hmm. uh, partners, is uh, the market is the current market is driving or the mm. creation of a market of thinking smaller and building mm-hmm. smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically when people look for homes, you know, they think, oh, three, two. I want a three, two. Got to have a three, two. On a half acre, right? Uh, <laughs> on a half acre. Well, now, you know, a, a, a two, two or mm-hmm. a two, one doesn't uh, mm-hmm. sound bad mm-hmm. uh, just for, again, because of the cost to build is mm-hmm. lower, obviously, mm-hmm. meaning for us we mm-hmm. can sell at a lower price point mm-hmm. uh, for those who are in need of affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, one of the other things that we've been looking at that uh, I think is gaining some ground and, and momentum is uh, prefabricated mm-hmm. uh, bills and mm-hmm. products. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're looking at how uh, how we could also potentially add that or create mm-hmm. that as one of the two bo- tools in the toolbox mm-hmm. uh, for us if it's a product or a option that's going to help us with mm-hmm. uh, helping with you know, providing a quality, mm-hmm. affordable uh, housing product, mm. uh, it's certainly something that we feel like we need to uh, be taking a look at mm. as well. Mm. Yes, what, are, what are the problems we feel like we don't have a solve for yet, but we know an innovation is begging to be had in, in a particular area around housing? I think we're solving on the, the financing side, the mortgage side. Mm-hmm. I, I think the... Uh, I was talking with a a bank not long ago, and they want to work in this neighborhood. They want to work with FCS, and uh, they've got a really great product that comes with down payment assistance. Mm. And uh, and they were sort of selling that product to me, saying this would be great. Mm. You know, we can we can come in at X dollars of down payment assistance, mm-hmm. and uh, we can get a family in. And I said, okay, so uh, tell me what's the What's the credit score mm-hmm. to get in that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said 620. And I was like, okay, well, you don't have a product that will serve our neighbors mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. So, um, but 
they jumped in really quick to say, wait, 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 no, 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 we can go below that. Mm. Um, but but we found there are ways to help people actually raise their score fairly quickly. Okay. And, okay. and so we'll do that work in partnership. Mm. Uh, and it takes that kind of banking. It takes that kind of mm. uh, banker that's able to say, yeah, this is our normal mm-hmm. product and the normal way we view risk. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and we've got to rethink if 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 equity is a value, then mm. we've got to rethink um, mm. how that happens. So we just did a situation in our in our CDFI where we uh, we were working with a bank that required us to have a fifteen percent loan loss reserve, mm. and even though I can show we have less than a one percent, mm-hmm. we our our numbers for foreclosures are less than what you would find at a traditional bank. Mm-hmm. But the bank that was mm-hmm. providing funding for us, just it, it just feels too risky, right? <laughs> that, okay, so Ugh. you're going to manage this, and what happens when it goes mm-hmm. in default? And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, well, when somebody is mm-hmm. late on a payment, our, our team engages mm-hmm. with them, and yeah, we yeah. get them back yeah. up. So we're not foreclosing. We're mm-hmm. actually figuring out mm-hmm. how to... How to them. keep them yeah. in a fa- in yeah. the house? It helps the family. It helps children in schools. There's so many things, mm-hmm. ripple effects, and uh, um, but they they were like, yeah, no, you you 15 percent mm-hmm. has to go in a loan loss reserve, so you can mm-hmm. you can salvage that that mortgage, mm-hmm. and uh, it's that kind of thinking mm-hmm. that is normal. Yeah. That it's like, okay, wait, we've just gotten away from this community style banking mm-hmm. where relationship is Actually what matters. drives yeah. it and mm-hmm. and is critical. And so uh, that's one area I think uh, our banking industry hasn't quite figured out how mm-hmm. to do lending in in community again, like mm-hmm. like uh, like we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So that's one area. I think mm-hmm. then there's also some, Financing stuff we might say on bigger projects mm. where you're doing multi-unit um, or uh, multi-family projects where you've got a larger capital stack and you're trying to figure out how to how to blend that public-private mm. uh, philanthropic investment uh, that that still takes an incredible mm. incredible amount of work mm. uh, on every project. It could be. What we've got a current project that's about six and a half million dollars, and we have literally been laboring under that, trying to get that stack, financial stack, right for mm. uh, six, seven months now, and mm. it'll come together. It mm. just it takes a lot of mm. loan applications and term sheets yeah. with different <laughs> banks and spreadsheets. Uh, spreadsheets <laughs> and how many how many banks. Uh, Danielle, I've got another bank that needs our our, our last three years of financials and audits. And yeah, by oh, the way, it. I have one for you. <laughs> seriously, yeah, he's not joking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. let me also add. So one of the one of the things that um, that I think really helps uh, FCS and and being able to meet its its housing goals. Mm. Uh, we're not afraid to partner bill. Mm. And I, mm. I think it's, uh, again, I just keep going back to those tools in the toolboxes. Mm. You know, we work with a, a number of uh, different uh, builders, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where it may be may not be a good fit for, for FCS to build in-house. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will partner with external builders mm. to build. We may have the land, 
They mm-hmm. may have better access to the uh, capital to build, mm-hmm. or they may have better access to the the resources uh, needed to actually build the house, uh, and so it makes better sense. Or they may have better uh, mm-hmm. better understanding of the of the land and what may fit on the land. Different uh, housing, different housing designs. Housing designs. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and so that has been something that's really helped us to in order to. You know, help us keep the ball moving mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. producing uh, quality, affordable housing in the neighborhood. Uh, and, and sometimes, when you some, you know, you may be an organization that that provides housing, and sometimes mm-hmm. you you think you have to do it all. But we found that uh, for us, you know, not being afraid to partner has really mm-hmm. been hugely beneficial for us yeah. in meeting our housing mm-hmm. uh, production goals as well. And one thing that we'll continue to do, um, FCS has a secret sauce, and one of those is one of those ingredients is, as Jim mentioned, we're like one percent mm-hmm. of our people that are late on their mm-hmm. mortgages, mm-hmm. and even with our rentals, is that we have our house, our excellent housing team, mm-hmm. that when they see that a, a tenant or a homeowner is getting behind, they call them and see what's mm. going on. How can yeah. we help you? Yeah. So it kind of prevents them from going months and months yeah, yeah. without getting paid. So that's one of the ingredients mm. of our secret sauce to mm. help people. It's not just about getting paid mm. the rent or the uh, mortgage. It's helping people mm. stay in their homes and their rental homes. Mm. Well, I think the innovation is a pretty popular word these days. We, we love the myth of the overnight rich entrepreneur who innovated something new, but I think innovation and housing especially takes a deep, deep well of compassion that you just talked about and also a deep, deep well of expertise and a toolbox that is full of a thousand different things that you're willing to try and fail and try again. And so I just, I think what one of the things I appreciate when, when people come to visit and they begin to kind of just scratch the surface on the depth of what we do with housing people, even people who are in the housing space are always overwhelmed by the the sheer variety of what we're doing. And I think if we really are committed to flourishing and to equity, uh, there, there, there can't be just one, one, one approach. And I just appreciate the work you guys do to innovate and make this work. So thank you guys for this conversation today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, thank Sean. you, Sean. The best way to learn about our housing work and everything else we do is to come and see it for yourself. We love hosting guests in our neighborhood and at FCS. Coming March of 2024, we will be hosting a two-day immersive event that we simply call Open House. Come, meet our team, see the work, and walk the neighborhood. To register, go to fcsministries.org slash openhouse. Place Matters is produced by Focused Community Strategies, whose mission is to partner with under-resourced neighborhoods to provide innovative and holistic development that produces flourishing communities and God's shalom. Place Matters is hosted by FCS's training and consulting team. If you'd like to inquire about our training and consulting services, please reach out to us via our website or find us on LinkedIn and social media. This information can be found in your show notes. If you'd like to watch these episodes, the video can be found on our YouTube channel. And if you did like this episode, please share it on social media. Your support means a lot to us. The show was edited by Tim Rose with music by Eric North. Special thanks to David Park and Becca Klein at FCS for their work in organizing and recording these sessions. And we would like to say thanks to our partner, Lily Endowment Incorporated, whose Thriving Congregations grant has made this podcast possible. Mm-hmm.